Don here. Just a reminder that after today's conversation with Scott, we're going to add in about 10 to 15 minutes of some more um, reading of Rule 2. Um, it's going to be about 9 or 10 different articles, um, and we'll continue to do that for a while. So stick around afterwards if you want to hear those. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Don Vandemark here, and today I've got Scott Hansen with me. Scott's from the Arizona area. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Scott. Don, it's my pleasure. Yeah, so what, what area Arizona are you in? Well, I'm actually in Phoenix, so we are uh, right in the middle of the state. All right, very good. And and the association, do you, do you work with a single association in that area? And, right. And so, how many schools do they cover, that sort of thing? So for here and for, for my role in the state, um, we are governed by the Arizona Interscholastic Association, which covers um, all of the high schools in Arizona. And we have, I don't know, 400 of them. And it's just one association that, that oversees all of that. However, we do have um, our local officials association, which... Uh, helps us in training and and uh, things along those lines. Sure, sure. So, how how far away do you normally have to travel to 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 work a game? Well, so in here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, uh, the the association tries to keep us for the most part in the the, the Phoenix metro area, but that could still be um, you know from where I'm my office is in Central Phoenix, um, I still could have a. 40 or 50 mile drive sure. uh, to get to a game on a, on a Friday night. Um, and if, you know, if, if you lived on, on, you know, one side of the valley or the other, you might have a 60 or 70 mile drive to get to a game, even though you're still in the metropolitan area. So, right. um, you know, for the most part here in the Phoenix area, uh, they try to keep us uh, in the valley for regular season games. Um, in the outlying areas, um, you know, up in the northern part of the state, like Flagstaff, uh, which is where I started, those guys will travel uh, you know, three and a half, four hours to get to a game. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, especially a, a state like Arizona, uh, where, where I think that the cities are fairly spread apart once you get away from the major centers, it, it certainly sounds like it would be a, a, a tough area to cover everything. It is. And, you know, we are not unlike, uh, many of the other associations around the state as we just need people, you know, we have such a sure. shortage of, of officials and, um, you know, in those outlying areas, they're spread even thinner just because of the numbers. Right, right. So uh, how long have you been an official, Scott? Well, I started in 1979. I was All a freshman right. in college. And uh, I went to school in Flagstaff. And uh, I'd been a decent high school athlete, but I wasn't good enough or big enough to play in college. And I really needed some money. And somebody said, well, Scott, you know, you, you seem to know a lot about the game. Why don't you ref football? And I think we were getting maybe 11 bucks a game or something back in those days. But I really needed the money, and I, so I, I did it. And um, the commissioner up there uh, liked me, and there were some mentors that, that assisted me, and I ended up uh, almost being a part-time job for me while I was in college. I would, I would miss classes to go ref games because I, I needed the money. Sure. And I got a ton, a ton of experience early on in my career. Uh, back then, we were doing varsity games with three guys sometimes and, and four. Right. And traveling to – all over parts of northern Arizona, as I mentioned, you know, sometimes we do a three and a half, four hour drive uh, to get to a to a varsity football game. So it was a lot of fun and a lot of learning early on. And uh, so 1979 is when I started. Then I took about 10 years off uh, when my kids were growing up, and I coached quite a bit. And uh, so I'm I'm close to 30 years. All right, very good. And and are you mainly a white hat now, or do you work another position on the field? No, I'm pretty much white hat uh, all the time. 
Um, and the way we're set up here in Arizona is for uh, for our freshman and JV games, they'll take two veteran officials, and then they'll give us two newer officials uh, to train and, and work with. And then on our Friday nights, we have the same Friday night crew, and we pretty much stay the same positions all the time. Now on our on our Wednesdays and Thursdays, um, I'll pretty much white hat, and I'll pretty much have the same umpire all the time, and we'll work with our newer guys on the wings. Sure, sure. All right, very good. Uh, do you do you work college ball at all, or do you stick to high school? No, I stick to high school. Uh, you know, I I had the opportunity years ago, and it, uh, and it just didn't work with the timing of my life and sure. you know, the age of my kids and my work and things like that. And um, you know, I just by the time by the time the opportunities really came around, and 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 it was something that I was one qualified and and two interested in kind of time had passed me by i think i was just you know for me after doing games on on wednesday thursday and friday i i really didn't have the 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 time in my personal life to be gone again on a saturday sure uh, to do it so i made that decision and you know what i'm i'm quite happy uh being the best high school official that that i can be and and really hoping to have an impact on on what in my view is many times the last organized sports kids will ever get to play in their life oh yeah yeah for sure for sure no uh Definitely, I, I, I haven't reached that point yet as far as having the opportunity to do college. But it, it right now, I'm just focused on how, how can I improve as a high school official and, and worried about that. So yeah, and you know, one thing here, Don, that's going to be a, a big issue, I think, come fall, is that our junior colleges here in Arizona uh, have done away with football. Mm. They've canceled their programs, so we have a lot of guys uh, that do both, you know, high school and college football, and guys that just do just JUCO football that are not going to have those games uh, this coming fall. So if there's any positive out of it, hopefully we get some of those guys back into the high school ranks uh, because, they, you know, they'll be veterans and, and, and good officials. Yeah, it certainly sounds like that should help the numbers, um, but, but you never know. Never no, know, you don't, so. you don't. And, you know, there may be maybe other conferences or maybe some of those guys will move up and, and, and do things beyond the, the JUCO level too, and we won't get them back. Yeah, for sure. So, the, this past season, um, were, were there were there a play or two that that were interesting or good teaching moments or something that that you learned something from? Well, you know, I think Don, you you, you learn something just about every time you get out on the field. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think for for me, one one that stands out in particular um, was, um, in fact, I think it happened a couple of times. One when we were working with some of our newer officials and. and you're doing a freshman or JV game, and then it also happened to us in a varsity varsity game where we handled it perfectly. Um, it was a muff punt recovered by the kicking team, and uh, the kid took off running. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in our varsity game, our, our back judge had a whistle on it right away, but in our, it was either a freshman or JV game, I don't recall, we had a, a relatively new official back there, and he did not have a whistle on it right away, so I'm whistling it from 45 yards away trying to kill the play. and uh, You know, a play like that really... Um, from a safety standpoint, you know, that's the kind of thing that we talk about all the time is we try to shut it down as quickly as possible. And with the newer officials, you know, they just, they, they were, they had probably heard us or me or whomever week after week saying better to have a late whistle than an early whistle. And they probably sure. just had that in their head that, oh, I better not blow a whistle. And when we really needed it. Right. Um, and so I think plays like that uh, certainly our teaching moments, and I happen to see a couple of them this last year. And then I think something I think we're really going to see moving forward, Don, is that uh, you know in the Super Bowl we saw uh, uh, pick plays, 
and I think we've yeah. seen it quite a bit, quite a bit more in the last couple of years with the, you know, kind of the, the sexiness of the RPO, the run pass option, where teams are using quite a bit more, and you know, you'll see those, 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 those tight ends and those uh, tackles out on the on the on the linebackers, and the next thing you know, the quarterback's pulling up to pass, and uh, and you know, and then and, and we're seeing that that pick play then on the outside. And, uh, you know, that's a hard catch for, for a five-man crew um, on a Friday night when you don't have, you know, seven, seven guys and each guy's got somebody to look at. So right. I, think, I think that's something that, that we will really have to emphasize in the next season because, you know, these coaches, I mean, they see it work in the NFL and they think, well, heck, if, if they're not going to call it in the NFL, I'm sure I can get away with it on a Friday night. Oh, and, the, and they will. <laughs> you know it. They will, although, although to 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 uh, as far as helping us out, um, the high school kids won't be as good at it. So no, sometimes, sometimes it'll be a little more obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. And 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 of course, the coaching at the high school level is not quite as sophisticated. But you know, we have some pretty good coaches that pay a lot of attention oh, yeah. to what's going on in the football world. And um, you know, if it's if it if it's good for the goose, well, then they think it might be good for the gander too. Well, exactly, and, and you're you're absolutely right. When we've got a five man crew, and you have let's let's throw more on it, right? You've got that RPO, so you got a scrambling quarterback. Your your single wing official all of a sudden has three things he's looking at, um, and there's no way he's picking up on a on a pick play at that point. It's uh, tough. It's tough, and you know we'll watch it. You know uh, during the week prior to our games, and, and you know we'll know that the teams run it. Um, and of course, the opposing coach will always remind us that in our pregame meeting. Right. Uh, but you know, it's just one of those things that you just have to really, really pay attention to. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it. And uh, you know, we'll just have to we'll just have to be better and and, and broaden, I guess, our, our scope of responsibilities for those outside guys. Yeah, and and if it, as you mentioned, it, it starts at the top, right, at the pro level. And if if we think that teams are getting away with it there. Um, then, then it's certainly gonna. They're gonna get away with it at the lower levels, and it's well. It's, yeah, it's, they are. They are. They're gonna try for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, as officials, we can only do our best, and you know, do what we can to to make sure that everybody's playing by the rules. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And that 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 was a that was a great example um, of of something that 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 shows up that we gotta we gotta figure out how how to deal with. Um, uh, I was talking with somebody the other day. I think one thing I want to pay attention to in the upcoming year um, is our, our runners um, lowering their head to initiate contact. Um, we, we've done a lot of um, we've done a lot of officiating around defenders leading with their head. Um, I know that I don't. I haven't seen a lot of flags about runners leading with their head. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, and and I think that's something I really want to start paying attention to. I want to make sure it's something the association wants to pay attention to first. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think if we're gonna if we're going to go for safety, then we've got to be fair about it, and we've got to make sure it happens on on both ends. Because I agree, I, and I, you know, and you're exactly right, Don. You know, we've seen that we've seen those safety changes over the years. You know, the last couple of years with the the blindside block leading with the hands. And, uh, you know, the defenseless players and things like that. There's a whole transformation of the game going on right now. And um, not only from a safety standpoint, but I think even from a sportsmanship standpoint, one of the things um, wasn't necessarily a play that uh, helped uh, kind of define our, our, our 
past season in football, but um, our commissioner of officials, uh, Brian Gessner, kind of gave a mandate to all of us in football that we really needed to control our sidelines better as a start to uh, corral the poor sportsmanship that's rampant, not just in football, but all across youth sports. Sure. And and we had some, some... a lot of education to do with our coaches here in in, uh, in Arizona as far as them being on the field, where they could be, where they couldn't be, and when they couldn't, couldn't be there. And uh, one of our mandates here was that if a coach stepped on the field, even on, just a one foot on the field, to argue about a call, there was no question it was an automatic 15-yard unsportsmanlike. Right. And that was a little bit of a change. You know, I, I've always told my, my wings, look, you run your sideline. I'm not going to micromanage you. You run your sideline how you run it. And I've always had one of my wings that's run a great sideline, never had an issue, and I've always had another guy who always seems to have a sideline warning. And, you know, that's just how those guys run their sidelines. But I think I think we'll see, in addition to the whole safety, I think we're going to see uh, uh, probably another big, big push toward uh, reining in the sportsmanship aspect of, of our uh, football coaching staffs and their, their players and, of course, the, the fans. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and I, I think our association does does a good job of, if the head coach has a complaint, we're going to listen. Um, of course. If, 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 he's, if he's within yelling, reason. Within right? reason, right. Yeah, if he's yeah. yelling, we're going to listen to some degree. We're not going to take a word from an assistant. Um, right. If an and assistant speaks pretty- up, we're going to push where I say, coach, I'll listen to you. I'm not listening to that. So yep. um, yeah, I, I think well, I think we're probably pretty pretty consistent with that across the state uh, across the country. I sure, would think. Sure, I'd like to hope so. Anyway, <laughs> you know, you just never know. I mean, you know, we you hear it even on a you know every Friday night you'll hear well they didn't they didn't say that last week when you you know God, you don't want to hear that. But yeah. at the same time, you hope that they did, and they're just telling you that, and you hope that if they had a game in New Mexico or in Orlando or wherever it might be, that they heard the same thing and they were treated the same way, and you know those rules apply whether you're in Arizona or whether you're in Florida or wherever you are. Well, I, I, I would hope so, but I, I certainly don't, don't think it's necessary. I think even, even within an association, um, I think you can see differences. I, I, I had one game where I normally work on the north side of Orlando or, or in Orlando proper, um, but I had one game late in the season that I was down south of Orlando. Um, and, and our association covers that whole area, but you've got, you know, all the guys who live north of Orlando work that area, and all the guys that work south, you know, work that area. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I did a game down there, and I, I'm usually a stickler about give me, give me my two yards. Um, right. I, you can be in there. You can be talking before the play, but you know what? Once he's up there under center, once he's calling out signals, just give me, give me room. Um, I, I will yell to coach four or five times before I put the sideline warning down. Um, and, and usually I try and tell them that that first sideline warning, I'm going to give you on the smallest infraction. Um, the second one where there's an actual penalty involved, uh, will probably be a more egregious, um, occurrence on your part. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but I, I did one game South and, and they were all over the sideline. So I'm like, I went to the head coach. So I'm like, coach, I don't know how how it normally works down here on this side, but I need my room. I need room to work here. So can can you work with me? And he was he was nice enough to work with me. Yeah, um, and I think you know, I think I think that's Don. That's the way I think it's 
best handled. You know, some of our officials at every level are better communicators than others, and the ones that are able to communicate best with those coaches are the ones that are able to, you know, manage that sideline a little better. Um, I have a couple things I always like to, to, to tell coaches when things kind of get, you know, if they're out too much, whatever, I'll go back over to the head coach and say, Coach, 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 you know in the NFL, they coach from back here, and I'll kind of walk them back to where they coach from. And coach, you know, they, in the NFL it works, and they can coach from here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, you know, they kind of look at you like, oh, yeah, or even in the NCAA, you know, you can say, Coach, in, in, in the NCAA they, they coach from back here. And, and then I'll always another time, you know, if I get a chance, with, again, depending on the game and the rapport you have with the coaches, if they're, you know, out a little bit, I say, hey, Coach, I know, I know that you're trying to get their attention, and I fully understand this is not a swim meet, but do you know, Coach, that the swim coach does not get to coach from his field? And they kind of look at you like, what? And I'm like, yeah, coach. I mean, the swimming coach doesn't get to get in the pool. <laughs> and so, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll think about it a little bit and back up and go, I wonder what that guy's talking about. I mean, he thinks we're at a swim meet. I mean, <laughs> so, so, you know, sometimes I like to have if, a little, little, little levity sometimes if it's appropriate. Especially sometimes if you give them the, 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 the explanation they weren't expecting, that, that, that trips them up for a little while while they're still processing it. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, you play to their ego a little bit. Coach, don't you want to coach in the NFL? I mean, look at those guys. <laughs> you know, and then, and then you throw in the swim coach who they probably don't like. And <laughs> so there you go. For sure. So uh, very, very good. So, so Scott, uh, in addition to being an official, in addition to, to, to what you do, uh, you're, 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 uh, do you own a public relations firm, work at a public relations firm? I, you're in I public do, yeah. relations, right? I am so. in public relations. I own a PR agency, and, and um, I've been doing this for about 30-plus years. My previous life, I was a TV sportscaster, which was a great job and a lot of fun. And um, when I first started uh, into the industry, I was still living in, in Flagstaff, and there were times where I would go to cover a game, uh, interview the coaches before the game, kind of get a you know feel for the game, go back into the locker room, put on my stripes, officiate the game afterwards. Um, and that was always a lot of fun. It was always kind of weird. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a long time ago, and, and uh, uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. But I think as my career has progressed, you know, being a business owner, having employees, uh, being in the public relations world, one of the things we do is, is issue management and crisis communication. And we coach our clients in crisis communication and how to handle uh, hostile media situations and things like that. And I think that some of that training that, that we provide, um, I've paid attention to over the years, and I think has probably helped me in my officiating career in communicating with coaches and being able to diffuse uh, potentially volatile situations with them, um, not only in just you know talking to them and listening to them and and um, but also in in body language and and you know how they're approached and, and things along those lines, uh, which is all part of the whole you know the whole the whole package of how you how you'd run a game or or how you'd run your crew. And I hate to use that word run a crew because I certainly don't believe in it like that. But sure, you know, just having an open you know, being as transparent as possible with the crew or, or with the coach, um, you know, whatever it might be, I think um, just helps make a game go a lot smoother if you can if you can pull it off. For sure, for sure. So, in addition to all that, you're also an author. Well, um, so, I am. So, yeah, so kind of by accident. <laughs> tell us about the so, two books that you've written. All right. So, um, about seven years ago, we showed up on a Friday night at a at one of the high schools here in the Phoenix area, and I looked up at the stadium and saw the name of the stadium was at the time, Don, uh, 
uh, Don Huber Stadium, and I asked the, the, the security guard as he was taking us back to our locker room, I go, hey, who, who is that? He goes, I have no idea. I said, okay. I, I thought, wow, that's kind of weird. They named the stadium after this guy. He didn't know. And so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Well, the next week we were at another high school, and I looked up as we were walking in with the security guard, and it said Talmachoff Stadium, and I asked the guy, I said, hey, hey who's Talmachoff? The guy says, I don't know. I thought, wow, that's two weeks in a row we're at a high school stadium, and nobody knows who it's named after. So I, I, I got kind of interested, and, and I called both of the schools back on Monday. I said, hey, you know, uh, Huber, who, who's Huber? You guys named your football stadium after him. And it took about five transfers in to the school before somebody finally said, oh, that was our first principal. And the next sure. school, uh, you know, Talmachoff, and they said, they said, you know, again, five five transfers in. So we said, oh, well, the, the Talmachoff family, they donated the land for the school. And I thought, wow, here we are, two two very prominent citizens in their own micro-community, and the current people didn't know who they were. And as it progressed every week, the same thing kept happening. And I also officiate baseball, and it bit played over into baseball, where I'd get on a baseball field, and, and I'd ask the catcher, hey, who's, you know, Joe Smith? We're at Smith Stadium. And the kid would have no idea. Well, and then in my professional career, one of our clients is the Arizona Association for Economic Development. And I was uh, in charge of the keynote speaker that day, and the speaker that that one day happened to be the Arizona State Historian. And his name is Marshall Trimble. And I was talking to Marshall. I said, Marshall, I kind of I ran across this project, and I think you'd be interested in it. It's just a, you know, I, kind of an interesting thing. And so I started telling him about it, that I was getting the names of all these stadiums and who they were. And he grabbed me right away, and he said, Scott, you've got to write a book. And I said, Marshall, I said, I'm not really doing this to write a book. I'm just an Arizona guy. I love history, and I love high school sports. And, uh, you know, I just found this something to be kind of, you know, interesting. He goes, Scott, this is lost Arizona history. If you don't write a book about it, it will be lost forever. And I thought, oh, crap, well, hmm, <laughs> this doesn't sound good, and this doesn't sound good. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of call his bluff. I said, all right, Marshall, well, listen, if you'll write the forward to the book, then I'll write the book. Well, wouldn't you know it, two weeks later, I have the forward to the book. <laughs> I thought, crap, now I've got to write a book. Yep. So, uh, so I did. I started doing even more research, and uh, came up with a book called Who is Jim? And Jim is spelled G-Y-M. And it's the stories behind all of Arizona's high school sports venues and the names behind some of the high schools. You know, if, if a high school is named after somebody, um, who are they and why'd they name the school after them? And uh, so Who is Jim was the first book. And great fun, and some of the, the stories are spectacular. There's some tremendous uh, stories from some of the small communities in Arizona and some of the metro areas of, of people who really had an impact on the lives of students and, and, and their communities. So they have schools and gyms and, and baseball fields, football fields, those types of things named after them. Well, after that book was out for about two years, my baseball umpire partner and I were at a game, and he had to listen to me talk about this for three years. It took me three years to research the first book. Sure. And so in addition to all of the names and the stories, I also have the pictures behind all of these people. Um, some of them going back to uh, the 30s and 40s, um, where, where these schools were named after these people. So fast forward, after the book, first book, Who is Jim, has been out for two years. I'm umpiring a high school baseball game, getting ready to start the game. The national anthem has just finished. I've got the plate that day, and my baseball partner comes up to me, and he's getting ready to punch me in the chest and run down to first base. And he goes, hey, Scott, he goes, you know, I've got your second book. I said, what's that? He goes, look at all those numbers hanging out there in right field. Who are they, and why'd they retire their number? 
He punches me in the chest, turns around, and runs toward first base. I thought, crap, now I've got to write another book. <laughs> so that book is called What's Your Number? And it is a, it is, this one's about the stories behind all the retired numbers at Arizona's high schools. Sure. So uh, kind of by accident um, that, that both books came around. Um, ScottHansonAuthor.com is where you'd find them if you had any interest in, in some of the Arizona history. But a lot of the, the names, particularly the retired numbers, um, and particularly as they relate to football, there's some pretty prominent names that came out of Arizona uh, that have numbers retired. Randall McDaniel, who's a, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, played here. Uh, there were the Bates brothers. It was um, Michael Bates and Mario Bates, sure. uh, both NFL players. Ricky Gray played in the NFL. Or it was Ricky Ellison in the NFL. It was Ricky Gray when he played high school football here. Uh, Prince Amakamura playing now. I, last I saw, he was playing for the Bears, I believe. He played here. Uh, Marquise Cooper played for the Raiders. Um, uh, one of our high schools here, Maryvale High School, had uh, some pretty big names. Uh, Darren Woodson played there. Felipe Sparks played there. Frank Garcia uh, Garcia hosts a sports talk show down in, uh, I believe he's in North Carolina now, but those three guys all had their numbers retired here. And, uh, there's a few more. Mark Gastineau is one, another one that played football here in Arizona. Billy Hatcher, that's one of my favorite stories. Billy Hatcher is the third base coach for the Cincinnati Reds, sure. yet uh, his football number is retired, and, and where he went to high school, they named the football stadium after him. He was such a <laughs> tremendous athlete. Right. So, you know, things like that uh, are, 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 I guess, sort of a... Uh, I don't know, an offshoot or a, kind of a fun little deal to, I guess, the privilege of being able to be at a high school every Friday night to, to referee a football game that, uh, you know, I thought, I thought this was something interesting enough that, that uh, I wanted to maybe preserve that history and capture it. And, and so in addition to the stories of why they retired their numbers, I also have all of their high school pictures in the book, which is kind of cool, too, to see some of these guys, uh, particularly somebody like, like uh, Randall McDaniel. I think he's in five or six different football Hall of Fames, Halls sure. of Fame, uh, to have his high school picture uh, in the book and uh, to have had a conversation with him about it. You know, that's kind of, for me, kind of fun stuff. Yeah, that very interesting, very cool. Uh, any, any plans for a third book? Well, I, at this point, I don't have plans for something like this. I've, I've had a couple of buddies of mine ask me, well, my football guys are asking me all the time, uh, well, Scott, I'm going to start working on another book because they had to listen to me every Friday night during our pregame talk about the stadium we were at and why it was named after somebody and who their prominent alumni were. And uh, I think they got kind of sick of it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got something else to do, but it might be a children's book. I'm just not quite sure yet. Oh, very good. Well, very cool. Very cool. So, uh, as as the person who, who started you on that journey, it, it does sound said it's, it sounds like it's – it's worthwhile in at least preserving a lot of that information. And, it is, and, it is. And, and you know, sure. it, of course, of course. And, it, it, you know, one of the things that it does, too, is, is uh, it allows me to uh, stay in communication with my football crew uh, throughout the year with stuff that's not necessarily rule book related. You know, I've, our crew, we've, uh, I mean, I've had the same guys for so long. Um, my umpire and I, Dean Fitch, went to high school together. Mm. Um, and we've been on the same crew now. I guess he's probably been with us for 12, 13 years. And my headlinesman went to one of my rival high schools, Dave Garcia. He's been on my crew for 15-plus years. Um, and we've got Russ Giglio, who's our line judge, and our back judge is Marty Topham, who's on our board of directors here for our local association. So, you know, we have uh, a really solid group of guys, but we have a lot of fun, and um, we try to carry that over, um, you know, both on and off the field. Obviously, yeah. we want to do a great job for the kids, 
Um, in my speech every every Friday night at the at the middle of the field after the coin toss, I say, "Hey, listen, guys, let's hustle. Try to do a good job for the kids tonight." And sometimes we do, and most of the time we do. But you know, um, we we also want to have fun doing it. And uh, whether it's you know after the game, before the game, during the game, or you know off season. Right. Well, very cool. So, so Scott, uh, they can they can find the books at Scott Hansen with an O uh, books dot com. Correct. It's Scott Hansen author. Oh, Scott, I, I messed that up. I that's I, okay. That's okay. Scott, so Scott Hansen author dot com. Okay. And um, yeah, people ask me all the time. Well, why can't you find it on Amazon? Well, the answer is pretty simple because I have so many photos from so many different places, and I had to pay for photo rights from museums and places like that. One of the stipulations was that I, I was not allowed to sell it on Amazon. Oh, gracious. Okay. Yeah, okay. so scotthansenauthor.com is where you'll have to go to find it. Oh, very, very, very For interesting. Both of them. Yeah, cool. So um, where else can uh, can people find out um, more about uh, about you or, or about your company? Well, um, HMA Public Relations is the name of my firm. We're based in Phoenix. Um, and HMAPR.com is our website. Um, and uh, who is... Uh, who is Jim.com, or let me see, on Facebook. Um, I, I post a lot of fun things on Facebook related to uh, the naming of stadiums and gyms and things sure. along those lines, all around the country. Uh, whenever I see them, uh, I post them, and that's on Scott Hansen Author on Facebook, Scott Hansen Author. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I post all kinds of fun things about stadiums and, and uh, gymnasiums and things along those lines from all across the country, you know, when I – when I uh, see that uh, a football program in Pennsylvania is going to name the, the field after their longtime coach, then I, uh, I post that article. So there's you know a lot of information from across the country on gyms that are uh, being named in honor of people. Sure. And I, I think you know no matter where you are, other than Arizona, uh, it's it's often lost history. Sure. Sure. Well, great, great. Well, um, just for everybody listening, uh, we're starting something new on the podcast here where uh, right after we wrap up with Scott, we're, uh, there's going to be another 10 or 15 minutes of me just actually reading through the rule book. So that, that, that's it for those people who want to just listen to the rule book, uh, consume the rule book in a different form. That's a way that, that you can do that. And um, so I, Scott, I, I was trying to add that to, to give people another way to refresh uh, their knowledge of the rule book. So right now we're, we're in rule two. So it's all those definitions. Um, so I, if people want to listen, great. If it's helpful, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. So um, well, that's fantastic. You know what? That's a great service, Don. It's sort of like, uh, you know, when you're commuting and you get to listen to audio books. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's just one more way. Um, and I, I will probably, I'll probably take them out of the podcast form and put them in their own separate file as well. Um, so that people can just say, okay, today I'm going to slog through rule two, um, that sort of thing. Or, or maybe even on the way to a game, they can say, you know what, let's do rule five today um, or, or whatever. So I think um, that's very cool. Yeah. So, um, so thank you again for, for joining Scott. Uh, appreciate your time today. All right, Don. Thank you very much. You have a great day. All right. Thank you. Now we'll pick up with Rule 2, Sections 7 through 15, Down, Loss of Down, through Forward Progress. Section 7, Down, Loss of Down. Article 1. A down is action which starts with a legal snap 
beginning a scrimmage down, or when the ball is kicked on a free kick, beginning a free kick down. A down ends when the ball next becomes dead. Article 2. Loss of a down is the loss of the right to replay a down. Section 8. Encroachment. Encroachment occurs when a player is illegally in the neutral zone during the time interval starting when the ball is marked ready for play and until the ball is snapped or free kicked as in 6-1-3A or 6-1-3B. For the purposes of enforcing encroachment restrictions, an entering substitute is not considered to be a player until he is on his team's side of the neutral zone. Encroachment also occurs when a player violates the free kick restrictions as in 6-1-4. Section 9. Fair Catch. Article 1. A fair catch is a catch by a receiver of a free kick in or beyond the neutral zone to the receiver's goal line, or of a scrimmage kick beyond the neutral zone to the receiver's goal line, after a valid signal under conditions in which the receiver forfeits the right to advance the ball in return for protection from being blocked or tackled by an opponent. Article 2. An awarded fair catch occurs when the offended team chooses to take the ball after enforcement of a foul for catching interference. Article 3. A valid fair catch signal is the extending and lateral waving of one arm at full arm's length above the head by any R player. Article 4. An invalid fair catch signal is any signal by a receiver before the kick is caught or recovered that does not meet the requirements of a valid signal, or after the kick has touched a receiver, or after the kick has touched the ground. Article 5. An invalid fair catch signal is any signal by a runner after the kick has been caught or after the kick has been recovered. Section 10. Field Areas. Article 1. The field is the area within the boundary lines and the inlines. Article 2. The field of play is the area within the boundary lines and the goal lines. Article 3. The side zones are the areas bounded by the sidelines, the hash marks, and the goal lines. Article 4. The end zones are 10 yards in depth and are located at each end of the field between the goal line and the inline. The goal line is in the end zone and a team's end zone is the one it is defending. Section 11. Fighting. Fighting is any attempt by a player or non-player to strike or engage a player or non-player in a combative manner unrelated to football. Such acts include, but are not limited to, attempts to strike an opponent or opponents with the arms, hands, legs, or feet, whether or not there is contact. Section 12. First Touching. Article 1. During a free kick, it is first touching if the ball is touched in the field of play by any K player before it crosses R's free kick line and before it is touched there by any R player. Article 2. During a scrimmage kick, it is first touching if the ball is touched by any K player in the field of play and beyond the expanded neutral zone before it is touched there by R and before the ball has come to rest. Section 13. Force. 
Article 1. Force is the result of energy exerted by a player which provides movement of the ball. The term force is used only in connection with the goal line and in only one direction, i.e. from the field of play into the end zone. Initial force results from a carry, fumble, kick, pass, or snap. After a fumble, kick, or backward pass has been grounded, a new force may result from a bat, an illegal kick, or a muff. Article 2. Responsibility for forcing the ball from the field of play across a goal line is attributed to the player who carries, snaps, passes, fumbles, or kicks the ball unless a new force is applied to either a kick, fumble, or backward pass that has been grounded. Article 3. The muffing or batting of a pass, kick, or fumble in flight is not considered a new force. Article 4. Force is not a factor, A, on kicks going into R's end zone, since these kicks are always a touchback regardless of who supplied the force. B, when a backward pass or fumble is declared dead in the end zone of the opponent of the player who possessed or fumbled with no player possession. Section 14. Formations. Article 1. A scrimmage formation requires a minimum of 7A players legally on their line at the snap. Article 2. A scrimmage kick formation is one in which no player is in position to receive a hand-to-hand -hand snap from between the snapper's legs, and at the snap either A. A player is in position with a knee on the ground seven yards or more behind the line of scrimmage, in position to be the holder and receive the long snap, and with another player three yards or less behind that player in position to attempt a place kick, or B. A player is ten yards or more behind the line of scrimmage and in position to receive the long snap. Article 3. A free kick formation is a formation used for a free kick down. Following the ready for play for a free kick down and until the ball is kicked, A. All R players must be behind their free kick line. B. All K players, other than the kicker and holder, must be behind their free kick line. Section 15. Forward Progress. Article 1. Forward progress is the end of advancement of the ball toward the opponent's goal in a runner's possession or the forwardmost point of the ball when it is fumbled out of bounds toward the opponent's goal and it determines the dead ball spot. Article 2. When an airborne player makes a catch, forward progress is the furthest point of advancement after he possesses the ball if contacted by a defender. Thanks for listening to Friday Night Stripes. Show notes and links to all of the episodes can be found on our website at FridayNightStripes.com. Reviews on Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes are always appreciated as they will help us reach more officials. We are always looking to talk to officials everywhere, so if you want to be a guest, please email hello at FridayNightStripes.com. If you have comments, ideas, or want to correct a mistake we made, you can email us at hello at FridayNightStripes.com. You can also continue the conversation by joining the Facebook group, Friday Night Stripes, or following us on Twitter at Friday Night Stripes. 
show music is Fight 'Em Down by Flash Fluority, licensed by PremiumBeat.com. We'll see you on the next episode.